My name is Viren Swamy. I'm Professor of Social Psychology at Anglia Ruskin University, and you're listening to the Brutally Delicious Podcast. I'm pretty excited about this guy. I read his paper. Yeah. And um, it's interesting. I, I was curious to find out, though, like how he really saw the... Um, because in the in the paper it says you know heavy metal is a more male dominated kind of genre. Right. Now I don't I don't know how he came to that conclusion really. I don't know. I mean, but I don't think it's wrong if you go to a show. It's, I mean, kind of a sausage fest most shows, right? Yeah, that's a true story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're, you're usually make, usually making breakfast with the sausage. It's true. Right. But yeah, I don't know how he came to this conclusion, but the paper is great. I mean, I've read it again this morning before we started it. I mean, I kind of identify. I can't wait to find out where you fit in being the uh, the new metalhead. Yeah, yeah. How it all relates to you, because I mean, I grew up with the shit, so. Yeah, well, I mean, I grew up with hair metal, but I don't, yeah. I don't really think it's like, I don't think that really counts as a metal fan per se. Like no, the- I, I I disagree. I think it does. I mean, I think there's probably a lot of people listening that won't agree, but I definitely think it's hair metal and not hair rock. I mean, it was definitely... I remember the first time I heard Kill Em All by Metallica. I thought it was the worst piece of shit I ever heard. Really? I, I just did not understand it because it was there's so much aggression and so much like... Now when I hear that record, I'm like, how did I think that? How did I right. think Poison was better than Metallica? Right. <laughs> 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 yeah, I remember this one so, time when we were kids. I I played in this band in high school. I was like maybe fourteen, fifteen years old, and my brother, my older brother, he loved Led Zeppelin. Like he just worshipped the ground they walked on. And I remember the drummer that was in my band at the time. We got in a fight with my brother that Ricky Rocket from Poison was a better drummer than John Bonham. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> my brother was like, I'm going to fucking punch you in the face if you keep talking. His head was probably about yeah. to explode. <laughs> I look back at that now and I'm like, what the fuck were we thinking? <laughs> All right. So I've got to, I'm going to jump in here for a second. I don't necessarily agree with what your point on that, but I have seen Poison back in the day in their heyday. Yeah. And he was a pretty underrated drummer. I mean, he actually can play. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's good. Yeah. There, Poison is still one of the greatest live acts around. Yeah, like, I saw them open for Def Leppard. It was Tesla, Def Leppard, no Tesla, Poison, and Def Leppard. And right. when they played, that whole Coliseum was just like it was a party. Oh like, yeah, the guy still has as much energy as he did when he was twenty. And I think you hit it right on the head when he said it's a party. And that was my problem with the. Uh, I'm going to go for it. the between the good glam hair metal stuff. And then when we switched to that grungy Seattle stuff, because it was a great big party. You hit it right on the head. Everybody was having fun, nothing but a good time, whatever. Yeah. And then you got knucklehead with a unwashed hair and down tuned guitar singing about how bad his life is. And I don't want any part of that, man. I want to have fun. Yeah, I agree. But I think it, I think it reflected, I, I, there's a lot of nineties music. I love like, I remember the first time I heard Smells Like Teen Spirit, my mind was just blown away by how how heavy it was. Right. And how loud the recording was. Like, I remember putting that, that CD in my truck for the first time, and it just about blew my speakers off the out of the truck because it was mastered so loud. Now right. I look back at it, it was it's so quiet compared to what we have now. But 
I was just so blown away by it. And I think too that, you know, art mimic art mimics culture. You yeah. know, and at the time when grunge was coming around, there's a lot of political stuff going on, there's a lot of war stuff going on and people were becoming right. a lot more kind of inward thinking or I guess or more like politicized than they were in the but 80s. All, but all the more reason to want to release and nothing but a good time and tease your hair and throw on some aquanet and, you know, roll out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Put a cucumber down your pants and let's roll. <laughs> right. Man, I saw, speaking of hair metal, randomly on my Facebook feed the other day, I saw Skid Row play I Remember You live at some big music festival. They were opening for uh, Guns N' Roses. Wow. And man, could Sebastian Bach ever sing. Holy crap, dude. I, I, I mean, I saw them open for Aerosmith, and I thought they were good, but I was in like grade eight. So right. I mean, did I know what was good? But when I saw that video, I was just like, holy man, how many octaves does this guy have? He's crazy. You know what's funny? You mentioned them. I just was reading this morning out on Blabbermouth that he's going out on his tour, I don't know, in September or something, and he's playing the whole first record live. Ah, uh, yeah, and I know. He, and, he sent, and he sent an invite out to all the band members to just come on and join him. That would be great if we get a reunion because I know there's been bad blood, but I'd love to see the original. Yeah, I read an interview about that, and he reached out to every single one of them, and they were all he, they didn't even respond. Oh, really? I wonder what happened there. Like, what did he do? I don't know. That's a drag because that's a band I would love to see back together. And oh yeah, I mean, God, they were good. But you'd think <laughs> like something pretty bad must have happened. Like, did he pull a Vince Neil and just screw everyone's right. wife? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know, because you're right, 30 years, bury the hatchet, and those shows would sell out, because I know, uh, you know, I'd have my tickets to numerous cities, probably. Oh, me too. Man, oh man, that first record was unbelievable. And um, I, don't, I don't know how true this is, so hopefully one day we'll get to interview Michael Wagner, but apparently they recorded the drums in a warehouse, and that's what gave that, the drums, those, those huge sounds. Wow. And they and they did the gang vocals in there too. So like on Youth Gone Wild, where it just sounds so like yeah huge, it was because they were tracked in a warehouse. Now I don't know if that's true or not. That's just what I've been. You know, you go on the internet and you find all this shit. Well, we'll have to get a hold of Michael Wagner. So yeah, I would love to know. But that record had some unbelievable recordings. Oh yeah, my God! That, and you know what? The next one I liked a lot too. And then. I don't know after that. I mean, Slave to the Grind, I think, was good. And it was a lot heavier, but it was still really good. Oh, yeah. I love Slave to the Grind. But when I look back at, like, when it came out, I just loved how heavy it was. But when oh, I look, yeah. It when, was I, when I look back at it now, the first record was still probably, songwriting-wise, it was better. The second record seemed more like they were trying to be heavier. Right. And then the third record they did with Bob Rock at Greenhouse in Vancouver and that just kind of seemed contrived. But I read an interview with Bob Rock about it, and apparently it was an impossible record to make because the band was... they couldn't even, They couldn't even be in the same room together. Yeah, that sucks. But that first one as a debut, it's probably, besides Guns N' Roses, one of my favorite debuts. It's got to be one of the bigger selling debut albums of all time, too. I think it sold 13 million copies or something. Oh, Here, really? Let me look it up. Yeah, it sold a lot of... Like, I know when I grew up in Canada, it was insane. Like everybody had Skid Row records and T-shirts. Oh yeah, and- you know what though? That when I listen to it, like on Spotify or whatever, it's still timeless. I can listen to that record over and over and over again. 
Oh, yeah. I'm just seeing how many records they sold here. It says they've sold 20 million records total. What was the first record called? It was just Skid Row. Skid it was Row. just Skid Row, yeah. That had like Sweet Little Sister and When the Clock Strikes Midnight. And big Guns. Big Guns, yeah. On top of the big hits, you know, I'm sure they made, they paid their mortgages off those ballads. Oh, God. Yeah. Here I Am. That was such a good track. Yes. That was such a good track. Five times platinum in the US, so five million. Wow. 100,000 in the UK, 500,000 in Canada, and 70,000 in Australia. That's all they have listed. Wow. So that's, that's like the first one? That's six million records, yeah. Off just the first one, right? Just off the first one. That's a pretty big wow. that's a pretty big debut. Oh yeah, but if you got your Googles out in front of you, what is uh, Appetite for Destruction? Oh God, that's <laughs> let's not even get let's not even <laughs> talk about that. I mean, <laughs> Wikipedia. Let's just see. Come on down. Double that. Oh, it's gonna. I bet you it's over thirty million. Let's just no, see. really. United States eighteen million. UK one point wow. two million. Uh, yeah, you're gonna be right. Canada one million. Argentina one eighty one hundred eighty thousand. Australia four hundred ninety thousand. Austria fifty thousand. Brazil two hundred fifty thousand. France, Germany, Japan two hundred thousand. Oh, Germany's five hundred thousand. Oh yeah, that's freaking crazy. Yeah, so you're over thirty. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I'm no, I'm not quick at math, but that's a lot of albums. Oh yeah. It's I've you know what I find funny though. It's like. They had that record, and then I remember Use Your Illusion when they released Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. Record stores were lined up around the block. I was one of the guys that was out like at midnight the night before because a lot of record stores were doing it like midnight. We're going to release both of them. And yeah. I was one of the jerk, one of those dudes that was out like, you know, like 10 o'clock at night the night before waiting. I have, a, I have a story about this. My friend in high school worked at a record store. I lived in a small town. He worked at a record store called Top 40. Mm-hmm. And they got the Use Your Illusion records a week before they came out. Mm-hmm. So he just took them. And we listened nice. to them before anyone had them. <laughs> nice. But nowadays, if we did that, we'd be sued. Because yeah. it would be on so the here's my here's my thoughts on Use Your Illusion 2. If they would have combined it to one Use Your Illusion and taken the best off of both, it would have beat Appetite for Destruction. Absolutely. But I think they had too many fillers just to get the double album out. Yeah, I don't know what the ideal was with ha- wanting a double album. It seemed a little, I don't know, unnecessary. I think a double, I think a double album if you can fill it with, you know, Appetite for Destruction. Because there's not a bad song on Appetite. No, God, no. That record is from start to finish. But I can probably take both Use Your Illusions and find 12 songs that rival or compare it to Appetite and having a great record. Absolutely, absolutely. It was probably like a freaking what were they on Electra or they were on Geffen. It was Geffen. probably like a Geffen thing to try and you know just capitalize yeah. on all that money. Yeah, I mean it. It worked, I'm sure. Oh yeah. I mean, don't just buy one CD, buy two. And everybody did. I mean, I got them both as well, and because they called it a double album, but it was it wasn't sold as a double album. No, it was two separate CDs. I don't know that anybody else or that I'm aware of anybody else has done that. Like uh, two releases on the same day, which are like you said, not, you know, bifold. Yeah. And yeah, it was strange, but I mean, it worked. They made a lot of money, but what I find funny is they have these two albums. We could say three, 
Mm-hmm. Plus, they have that acoustic record they did. And oh, I like that actually because that's where you got patience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're they're selling out stadiums, you know, off oh yeah, off three or four albums that are twenty oh, yeah, that are tw- over twenty years old. Hey, you're listening to Brutally Delicious podcast. I'm Bruce Moore, and I'm Chris Seegers. Hey, you don't sound hungover today. That's good. Hey, I'm not. It's funny, right? <laughs> Which is good. We got to be on our money today. And today we've got a killer show for you. A little bit different. I'm really excited, though, to speak to Viren Swamy. I'm uh, psychologist super stoked on this. Yeah, I mean, for those who don't know, he's written a couple papers on heavy metal and its effect on the, what, sociology, psychology kind of thing? Yeah, I guess, yeah. Hey, Hello. Viren. Hello. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. This is my partner, Chris. How are you doing? Good. I want to understand what made you kind of write this paper and not only what made you write it but where can people read about it um well they can email me for a copy okay um, that's the easiest thing and you can find my email online it's not difficult the the why question is slightly tricky so there is a i'm interested in why people like different forms of art and different forms of music and there is a lot of research to suggest with music in particular that people's personalities influence the type of music they might like. This is not true of everyone, and it's probably an overgeneralization, but you can, for for example, you might say that people who are more open to different forms of aesthetic might be less likely to follow mainstream music, for example. They may be more like open to different forms of, say, more challenging music or more complex music, which heavy metal fits that that pattern. Awesome. So... Another thing, uh, when I was reading the paper, I noticed that you say, you know, heavy metal tends to be more male-dominated than than female-dominated, which, I mean, anyone that goes to a metal show can mm-hmm. can see that. But what what drew your, what? how did you draw that conclusion? So in, in the study, what we did was we didn't specifically look at heavy metal fans. We looked at the general population. So we looked at across a, a, popula- a group of people who may or may not like heavy metal, if you present them with clips of, um, I think in this study we, we termed it a contemporary or new me- new wave heavy metal, uh, so bands like Disturbed, uh, if you play them clips from these bands, do they like these songs? Ah. Um, and what we found was that men tended to prefer the songs in general compared to the women. Ah, oh, that, that's where I got confused because when you said the new wave of heavy metal in, in, the, in the paper, I was thinking of like um, Iron Maiden, and Judas Priest. And- well, so these were, I think, ba- uh, 2005 onwards. So I think uh, there were bands like um, As I Lay Dying, Disturbed, Overkill, right. Stained, I think was one of them, Cradle of Filth. Okay. Awesome. Are you a, are you a metalhead yourself? Yeah. <laughs> you are? <laughs> Old school metalhead or newer new, kind of new to the pole? New school. New school. So that's kind of Chris. Chris has got a story. He just started listening to it around 2011. So I don't know where he fits into this study because I've grown up since I was, you know, I mean, I remember buying Diary of a Madman from Ozzy back in whatever that was, 1982. The thing is, I think with the the results of our study, I think they're probably applicable to most people. So I I think even if you liked old school metal, if you like heavy metal, I think our main finding is that people who are more open to experience, so openness to experience is basically a personality trait. Everyone is open to experience to some degree. Some people are high in openness to experience. Some people are low. Our study, and this is, consistent with other studies as well, suggests that people who are more open to different forms of aesthetic, particularly challenging and complex forms of music, are more likely to like heavy metal, all forms of heavy metal. Gotcha. Nice. I was actually 
I was actually quite excited too to read that I'm not considered a deviant or violent because <laughs> growing up as <laughs> growing up as a kid, man, you know, I grew up in a religious kind of environment and man, they used to play records backwards and you're the devil and you're, you know, just because we like the heavier <laughs> yeah. stuff and then I find your paper and I'm like, wow, there's redemption. I'm not the uh, evil yeah. psycho killer. I think the, the, the reason for that is, is fairly simple to understand. I think it's easy to demonize heavy metal, main, mainly well, possibly because a lot of the imagery is challenging for mainstream popular culture um if you if you for example if there's this back in the day there was this idea and it's probably a, a very crude stereotype of the of the heavy metal fan that they're aggressive that they're anti-establishment that they are um they're more likely to take drugs and take extreme drugs and so on none of this seems to be backed up by any research if you look at the evidence heavy metal fans are just as aggressive as say pop fans if you look at the evidence heavy metal fans are just as aggressive as punk fans or whatever other fans you want to look at there are no stereotypical differences now that's not to say that all genres of heavy metal are the same. For example, if you listen to death metal, you're probably slightly more, on average, aggressive than someone else. But it's better, I think, to understand, not to kind of rely on these crude stereotypes, but to understand why someone who might be more aggressive might like heavy metal. That's more informative. It's better to understand the reasons why than to kind of stereotype heavy metal fans. But I think the other reason why people like to stereotype heavy metal fans is because it allows them, it provides them with an easy scapegoat. It's easy to say that these individuals are somehow deviant or somehow um, not suitable for our society because they're different. And the, right. the, the extreme example of this would be a hate crime where someone who might dress like a goth, for example, is murdered, which happened in this country not so long ago because they look different. Right. Well, I remember in the, in the United States when, uh, when Columbine happened, they blame yeah. Marilyn Manson for it, yeah. Which was just—I didn't understand that. I it mean, reflects a refusal to look at the actual, the underlying causes of, say, gun violence and, and crime in the U.S., rather than actually making a, and instead making a very simplistic judgment that someone who likes heavy metal is somehow more aggressive or deviant. My experience has actually also- been the opposite, you know, because since I'm new to metal and I've just started going to metal shows, I've never met a bunch of more kind people than what I'm. Go, that's that's really what made me start going to the shows. Like after I went to my first festival, I was like, I feel like I'm part of a family already, and everyone's so nice, and they're like buying you beers, you're buying them beers, you know. Even if you get in the pit and you fall down, ten people will be there to yeah. lift you up, and if yeah. you're hurt, they'll get you out of there. There's no yes, you know, it's so peaceful, even though so the music is so thing. aggressive. This the other thing that we found in our study. So old research suggested that people, um, or that at least heavy metal fans might inhabit what's sometimes called a culture or subculture of alienation. They feel left out of mainstream society. They feel left behind. They feel like they haven't got a voice in mainstream society. And one of the nice things that heavy metal might do is it provides a community. It's not just the music. It's the community of people who come together and enjoy something together and undershare and have a shared experience of something, and actually help out each other sharing music or sharing new bands that they might have heard of and talking about things and that shared perspective can be really really important for someone who might for example have really low self-esteem it helps to build up people it helps to provide a sense of community in a way that i believe mainstream popular contemporary music doesn't you are- i think you hit it right on the head because i mean chris and i will tell you we've been to so many like festivals or whatever and i mean you, you meet people from around the world share the love of a riff or some guy screaming and right away they're like, Hey, when you come to this festival in my country, I don't know you from Adam, but you can stay with me or Hey, it's amazing. 
Well, and and this is a maybe a bit of a dark story, but I'll share it because it it's actually how I got into metal. So in 2011, my friends were putting on a festival, a metal festival. But the year before, I'd gone through a divorce, and at the beginning of 2011, well, it wasn't really a divorce, just the end of a long-term relationship, which was hard. We had to sell condos and do all that stuff. And then at the beginning of 2011, um, I'd gone through a pretty traumatic experience, and it really, it really messed me up mentally. I was like, Ugh. but my friends were putting on this festival, and they said, "Oh, you got to go on this, on this boat with us." So I said, "Oh, sure, whatever. I mean, what do I care?" It'll be something fun to do. And I went, and it, it almost cured me of all of that last year and a bit of stuff that I went through because of that, that cultural experience that happened. You know, I went by myself, and by the end of it, I knew everybody, even the bands. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So I think there's a definite catharsis. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Uh, well, that was one of the oldest theories about heavy metal and why people listen to heavy metal is because of that cathartic appeal. If you, for example, not say that every heavy metal experiences this, but if you're feeling angry, if you're feeling sad, and this is true probably of a lot of different musical genres, but particularly with heavy metal, it allows you to express that. If I'm feeling angry at any point, I put on some nice music and it allows me just to go through and sit with that music and go, well, I understand what I'm feeling now. I'm feeling angry about something. I can work through what I'm feeling. Not say that happens for everyone, not say that's true of every heavy metal band or every rather heavy metal fan, but it allows that cathartic release of, in some cases, anger, in other cases, it might be sadness, in other cases, it might just be, I'm feeling like I want to be with other people who understand me. It's the exact opposite of the public opinion, though, right? Because they think I'm playing the new Slayer record and I want to go out and stab people or, or slice somebody's throat, exactly. which is so far from the truth. I think part of the part of the problem here is that I think in in Europe at least there is <laughs> Burism and the the kind of the, the Norwegian death metal bands are essentially in the news a lot again at the moment. I think a lot of people confuse the band with the fans. The band members may have done some really horrific stuff. That does that doesn't mean that all their all their fans are doing exactly the same thing. And again, that's not to say that their fans some individual fans of heavy metal may not have done bad things but in the same way you wouldn't say that every pop fan in the world is completely innocent of anything they've ever done right oh yeah absolutely i mean i've never been to a heavy metal festival where something terrible has happened i'm sure it has i'm like i mean at vakken i'm sure you put a hundred and what do they have one hundred fifty thousand there that, yeah, something there's like that. something something's gonna happen with that amount of people that confined together but it's not specific to heavy metal yeah, it's exactly. Just, it's just specific to that asshole, really. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, in, in the same way, I, I think that's uh, without kind of pushing the boat too far out. I think that's true of any any musical genre. I think to blame the music is ridiculous. The music is the is the expression of something. It's not the underlying cause of violence. It's not the underlying cause of something bad happening. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So I also found it interesting in the in the paper when I was reading yesterday that. Uh, most or in your study you found that most people are like anti-pop or anti-mainstream and I had no idea why but that's been me from the beginning I think anything that starts with pop culture or the word pop I'm so turned off I don't even give it a chance but that's like ingrained in me for some reason 
So I, I mean, if I had to if I had to profile your personality, I'd probably define you <laughs> for being anti-culture. So anti-culture simply means you, you have not so much problems, but you you don't find satisfaction in mainstream culture, whether that's music or art or whatever. And that means you gravitate towards other forms of aesthetic, other forms of music, other forms of art that may be more interesting to you. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how people behave. Human psychology is so complex that sometimes we just like things that are a bit different. But the nice thing about heavy metal, or maybe not so much nice, but the unique thing about heavy metal is that I think it combines both the, the sense of anti-culture with a sense of anti-authority. A lot of heavy metal relates to being anti-authoritarian in the sense that we we don't generally like being told what to do. We, we like transgressive forms of culture. We like transgressive forms of music. And one of the nice things about heavy metal is that it's such a broad church. There are so many different types of heavy metal, so many different genres of heavy metal. But a lot of the thread underlying a lot of that is the sense that we are anti-something we have a unifying sense of identity it provides us with if i met for example one of you and in, in person we had a conversation about what we like and dislike i can make probably make a safe assumption that there will be things in common that we like because of the music beyond right. music i mean absolutely okay. that's great <laughs> Thank you for the uh, for the profiling too. That was great. Yeah, I feel <laughs> and stripped unexpected. down and naked. <laughs> the, the, thing, the thing to bear in mind, though, I think one of the things with personality profiling, and particularly in terms of music, is that the personality profiles don't tell us very much. Essentially, what they're saying is that heavy metal fans are just like everyone else. They may be slightly more open to experience. They may be slightly more anti-authoritarian. But generally, we're just like everyone else. You can't use a personality profile to say that these individuals who like heavy metal, whatever form of heavy metal, are deviant or antisocial in any way. I think it's great that you said the whole openness thing because, I mean, you know, the godfather of, of the metal is openly gay and there's fans from all over the world. It doesn't matter race, creed, religion. You've got bands like Striper and I run into religious people all the time who still like it. And I can still sit and listen to them, you know, to have a conversation with them at a bar because we bond over the riff and maybe the anti thing. I'm not sure, but it's amazing. You're right. It's very open, I think. Well, let me tell you this story. In, in my neighborhood, we have, I forget what the church is called. Is it the Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or the Mormons that go door to door? And like, I, anyways, one of them, I'm not sure who it is. And if I'm offending anyone, I'm sorry. I just don't know. But anyways, I was wearing a Gojira shirt. Sorry, Bruce. And I'm walking down. <laughs> Bruce doesn't like Gojira. So I'm walking, I'm walking down the street and, and I see these guys with the Bibles in their hands and their backpacks full of Bibles. And they're, I'm like, oh God, they're going to try and sell me religion. And like, I'm not, I mean, people can believe whatever they want. I have no problem with what people believe. I just don't want any part of it. And uh, I'm like, oh God, they're going to hit me up. And this kid goes, Gojira! And I was just like, yeah. I was like, it's a metal band. He's like, I know! They're my favorite <laughs> band! And I was just like, Cool, man. He's like, metal. And then he just walked away. I was like, wow, that just happened. And that was a that was a shared experience with someone that I was already closed off to. That that yeah. somehow it opened it up. It was really quite a cool experience. I, I I mean every rock fan will have a similar experience. Like when I was I think I'm probably about 15, I was I was traveling through an airport. I was wearing um, a, a Sepultura top. Um, and I remember this random person came up and talked to me. I couldn't understand what he was saying, but I understood eventually that he was trying to tell me he liked Sepultura. And that's all it was. He just came up to me to have a conversation about Sepultura. And that's yep, what's nice about. I mean, again, it kind of it 
overturns this idea that heavy metal fans are somehow antisocial that we don't want to talk to other people we love chatting about music we love talking meeting other people <laughs> man i could have conversations in the grocery store looking at eggs and find somebody wearing a sepultura yeah. shirt yeah. or a slayer shirt and be like fucking slayer and then all of a sudden <laughs> we're you know we're having this conversation oh yeah that's the first person i met when i moved to virginia was a uh, guy he worked for the u.s government for like uh u.s border patrol and he was living in our company housing where we were moved to at first. And he was wearing Sepultura pants. So I was like, oh, let's talk. And right. then now I st he moved back to Alaska, but we're still in touch all the time. In the it's same crazy. way that you wouldn't be able to do it if you just simply liked mainstream culture, I think, or mainstream music, at least. You wouldn't go up to someone and just say, hello, I like your music because you've listened to mainstream music. It doesn't really work that way. Um, where because I think heavy metal fans are a community of people who understand each other and understand that they're not mainstream, they're not in the mainstream eye, there is a much closer sense of affinity. We like each other almost just because we like our, the same music. Yeah, like if somebody, was, if somebody was wearing a Taylor Swift shirt, I'm not going to walk up to her and be like, if I'm a Taylor Swift fan, like, oh yeah, my God, exactly. do you like Taylor Swift too? Like, oh, you might, you might do, but you might have a one minute conversation about that and move on to other things. Whereas with heavy metal, you can have a long conversation about your favorite bands, where they are, what they're doing now. And that one album you heard in 1993, that completely right. changed your life. <laughs> <laughs> All while getting a dozen eggs in the grocery store. I mean, my yeah. wife is like, come on, we've got to go. And I'm like, no, wait a second. He knows about Overkill's riff back in, you know, Feel the Fire. No, we got to go, really. <laughs> have you profiled the opposite? So like... For instance, you, you looked at why people like heavy metal. Have you looked at why certain groups target heavy metal? When you say target, you mean... So, like, let's say, like, religious groups will be like, we have to ban this, or we, we can't let our kids listen to this, we can't do this, we can't do that. What, what, what is the opposite of, of a metalhead? Why, why, do, why are people so scared of it? Have you looked into that? Uh, that's a more difficult question to answer and, and from a psychological point of view it's really difficult to answer but from a political point of view it's more straightforward I think some people need scapegoats they don't want to address the underlying causes of problems in society if for example your issue is that there is too much violence in society it's much easier to blame an outgroup and by outgroup I simply mean a group that doesn't belong to the mainstream society mainstream culture so it's much easier to blame the outgroup what that does it does two things it identifies a target it says here's the people or here are the people you should be blaming for what's going on but it also gives your in-group a sense of well, I'm different to them, and anything that happens to my in-group now is better, and I want to make my in-group feel different, or feel better about itself. And by targeting the out-group, you make your in-group feel better. So essentially by saying heavy metal fans are the cause of all the ills in the world, all the violence that's happening, you make your in-group feel better about it. And also you allow expression, so you allow yourself, you allow your group to target the out-group now. They can do something about it. And that sense of agency is really important. It's the same thing that happens with any time any in-group targets an out-group, whether it's an ethnic minority or an immigrant or someone of a different race or different sex. It's the same pattern of behavior. But for heavy metal fans, I think one of, the, one of the difficult things that heavy metal fans will experience is that we are visible. We wear our heavy metal in, our, in, our, in the way we dress, in the way we, what we wear, the bands we, we listen to, the, the kind of clothes that, or the, the, the places we go to. It makes us stand out. And anytime you have an opportunity to identify and vilify someone who stands out, it makes life so much easier. But the important kind of the, 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 the converse to that is our research shows that 
if you go beyond the appearance, if you go beyond just how people dress or what bands they listen to or the, the music they listen to, heavy metal fans are psychologically almost identical to everyone else. That's awesome. That's interesting because I grew up, like I was saying earlier, where I mean, you used to have the burning the records and spinning things backwards. And, you know, just because I had my Slayer t-shirt on, I was going to burn in hell. And it's so different than things have changed for sure. I remember, I remember I went to a Catholic school as a kid and I, rem- I remember feeling targeted specifically because, oh, yeah. because I was wearing, what was I wearing? I was wearing a Motley Crue t-shirt, which Bruce and I have a disagreement. Like, I don't really consider that metal. He's like, well, it was metal of the eighties. But anyways, I was wearing a Motley Crue t-shirt and, and the, the priest gave this like big sermon about how evil Motley Crue was for like 30 minutes. He went on about heavy metal and Motley Crue. And, and I'm, I'm sitting there in this group of people just feeling singled out. And it pushed me really quite far away from anything to do with, with religion at all. <laughs> Honestly, I was like, you don't like Motley Crue? Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the other thing that we found in our study. So people who were more religious tended to dislike the heavy metal. Um, and there are other studies also suggesting that religiousness, not necessarily a religion, if you are more religious, you're less likely to like heavy metal. Again, it needs to be qualified. Like, for example, you'll know this, that there are lots of different heavy metal bands that come through Christianity and other for other um, religious groups as well. Bruce, and they, sure. they express their, their, their religiousness through Bruce, their music. Bruce did a film about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But as a group of people, if you if you want to generalize, you might say that heavy metal fans tend to be less religious um, than um, than other form other other music fans. Again, that reflects their anti anti ness, the anti the rebelliousness of he- of heavy metal fans. They're rebelling against anything that's mainstream, and religion is mainstream. I also think, though, th- that you said that going back to the openness. I've seen bands like Four Today who are super duper religious or whatever, but they're playing big festivals and not a damn person in the audience cares. They're still just moshing and have a good time. It doesn't matter that they're pushing Jesus or they're pushing Allah yeah. or they're whatever. They're just, it's just an expression. listening to the riff and banging their heads. And it, I think that whole openness is what you were saying I, earlier. I, I That's mean, great. Probably what the early 2000s when POD first came out. I remember listening to it on repeat and it wasn't until years later that I realized they were a Christian band and they were, <laughs> They were very heavily, they were right. they the Christian values, but it didn't matter to me. I still listen to them now. Yeah, I would say once you found out you didn't turn them off, it's yeah, just, exactly. they're still good. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I, I was going to say one thing, which is the kind of, I know we've been talking a lot of the positive stuff, the, the more difficult stuff to talk about is obviously a lot of, the, I mean, we kind of touched on this, what happens when a heavy metal fan is singled out. And that is sometimes really difficult because I think that, the, the kind of the extension of what we've been talking about is that mainstream society does demonize heavy metal fans. And sometimes that demonization can result in really horrific endings, whether it's murder or, or, or a physical attack on someone who likes heavy metal. And I think one of the really important things is that I think we shouldn't minimize what happens. We shouldn't minimize the victimization that happens and we shouldn't victim and we shouldn't, but also conversely, we shouldn't act as victims. We're not victims. We're allowed to like whatever music we like. We're allowed to behave, wear our favorite band's t-shirt. We're allowed to go to concerts in the same way that anyone else is. And I think one of the things that maybe heavy metal fans haven't often done is to consider the politics of heavy metal, which is that we are part of a community and often we have a responsibility to look out for each other. Sometimes I think we, we stand back from not doing that 
because we don't want to get involved or we don't understand each other. But I think if you take this sense of community to its, to its extreme, we have a sense, we have a responsibility to look out for each other, not just at concerts, not just at venues, but even outside. When we see horrible things happening to people who are heavy metal fans, we should be sticking up for each other. Unbelievable. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this is by far one of my favorite interviews. I thank you so much for taking oh, me the too. time. I'm just like in awe right now. I just want to keep listening, but I don't want to take up your whole day. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Unbelievable. Dude, you are amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Not worthy. We're about- Not worthy. <laughs> Man, that was one of the best ones I've done. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's awesome about- argument. Is Gojira Sorry? good or do you like Gojira? I, I don't mind them. Thank you. <laughs> Keep in mind them. that I'm going to edit, so this is going to depend on how the <laughs> podcast comes out. Okay, so here's a, here's a question for both of you then. Have either <laughs> of you ever seen them live? I no. have not. Okay. Then you can you have no judgment. You, once so you, wait, it'll change. I, I, I it'll change you. That, it'll, that is a fair argument. That is a fair argument. It will like, change you live. Like my God, it's when I first saw them. It was like seeing Metallica. Somebody described it to me like this. It's like seeing Metallica on the Kill 'Em All tour, where they were just tearing up the country. So, so Byron, let me just yeah. tell you, I don't dislike them. I just don't know what the massive put them on a pedestal kind of thing is. They're no, way back. Like I mean, so many bands that, that we put on pedestals, and I don't really understand why we do it. But Kajira seems one of the more minor ones that we do that to. I mean, if they come up for some reason, I'll, I'll listen. I'm not going to turn them off. Yeah, I'm so the, go out of my way to, to buy an album. Okay, if see, you, Byron and I are if, on the same page if you here. Get, if you get a chance to see them live, I think you'll change your mind. That is true, but then you can say that of a lot of bands. There are a lot of bands I'd rather go see live before I go see Gajira. I'm like, thank that. you, Byron. Yeah. <laughs> the editing of this podcast is going to come out heavily good in your favor. I promise. <laughs> well, that's all I've got, man. Me too. I thank you so much for taking the time. Thank we'll you. be in touch. All right. All right, be well, brother. Cheers. Bye. Take care. Bye. Yeah, bye. Holy bejesus. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely is one of my favorite ones so far. Oh yeah, that was killer. What wow. a what a nice guy. Super nice guy, and, and he's uh, like he's a metalhead. He's like I'm a professor of psychology at this university. I'm like, what? You look like you're 20. <laughs> right, and, and I got a profile out of the whole thing, so. Yeah, now you can feel better about how fucked up you are. (laughs) (laughs) I'm anti-cultural or something, you said. I got to go back and listen to what he said because uh, he may have hit me right on the head. Wow, that was pretty. I'm still trying to, like, absorb everything he just said. I'm going to have to listen to this a couple times. Yeah, no, this is is by far one of my favorite interviews we've ever done. I hope everybody who's listening to this goes out and sends him an email and gets a copy of that paper because this is... uh, this is some great stuff. Share this. Absolutely. This Facebook. I think everybody listening to this and even your friends should be reading it and checking it out. Cause it's we're not a bunch of deviant. Too. It's like 5,000 words, 6,000 words. Yeah. But in the end, we're not a bunch of deviant assholes who are looking to go murder people. No, we're just anti-culture. Which I knew already, but I think the rest of the world needs to know that. Cause I have no, you know, hateful bone in my body. I'm just a dude. Yeah, I just like, like heavy music. Like listening to Slayer, right? So whatever. <laughs> yeah. That was that was freaking fantastic. I'm, <laughs> I might I'm be wearing an upside down moment. cross on me, <laughs> but if if you're broken down on the side of the road, I'm going to help you change your tire. So listen, at the end, you're 100 right. At the end of the day, 
that is, you know, I told you I grew up religious, have my beliefs, do whatever. And that is sort of the, you know, opposite of the way I grew up. And I know this, I know a guy named um, Jeremiah Stratton. He's in head PE, he's the drummer. Yeah. He is, he is the head of the president of the Association of the Wicked, some big satanic group out of Michigan or whatever. Yeah. Dude, he is the, and they run, they're always running fundraisers for the children's hospitals and cancers and all this stuff. And he is the nicest guy in the world. And at the end of the day, you know, if my mom or somebody comes in and be like, oh crap, he's got an upside down cross on his head, on his, you know, where's a chain yeah. or whatever. And they immediately judge him. But I got to tell you, Jeremiah is one of the nicest guys in the world. Oh yeah. I don't, I don't judge people based on their religion. I no, me neither, but it's hard yeah. because so many people do. Oh, absolutely. They do. Yeah. I mean, I left religion because it just wasn't for me personally. I found it, it wasn't, it wasn't my thing, but I don't care if anyone likes it. I mean, that's their right. I mean, we, we live in a free world, man. Well, some people do. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I mean, I think if you're a good person, you're a good person, whether you're believing in Jesus, Allah, whatever, Satan, whatever it goes on to be, you're a good guy. And I, that doesn't even have to come up in conversation. We can have a beer and talk about or not talk about Gojira, whatever you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got you. little side swipe. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, no, but, that, that was great. He was really good. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.